This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, it's Mike Smith in for Simi. Taking a look at wait times at walk-in clinics in British Columbia. If you've ever tried out this website called MediMap, MediMap. That's a it's a website that tracks walk-in clinic wait times. Very handy. So if you're ever if you ever have to go to a walk-in clinic, and a lot of people do because not a lot of people have a family doctor anymore, you can check that site and see which clinics around you have the shortest wait time. I'm telling you, that's a handy thing. I've used it. But here's they, this uh, MediMap. They've done a, a new study that's, that takes a look at the average wait times at walk-in clinics. It says in British Columbia, the waits are twice as long as the waits in Ontario and Alberta. People waiting longer in line at a walk-in to get into a walk-in clinic here. Hmm, I wonder why. Cold and flu season. Maybe that's the reason. That can contribute to longer wait times at clinics. So, here's our hot question today. Have you got your flu shot this year? I got to admit, I haven't got mine yet. I got the flu real bad earlier, too. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I've already got it. Should you still get the flu shot? I think you should. I should get one. Would you say, yeah, if you got your flu shot this year, would you say, yes, it's smart to get the flu shot? Or would you say, no, I'll roll the dice, take my chances? At CKNW on Twitter is where you'll find the hot question today. At CKNW on Twitter. Give me a follow while you're there at Mike Smith News on Twitter. I'll retweet it for you. At Mike Smith News on Twitter. S-M-Y-T-H at Mike Smith News on Twitter or call the CKNW buzz line today and tell me what you think. Have you got your flu shot this year? 604-331-BUZZ is the number to call. 604-331-2899. And it veered off down the beachways and about five houses down from us. I saw it nosedive into the ground. The explosion was just immense. I mean, a huge explosion. All right, welcome back. Mike Smith in for Simi today. That is the voice of Dave Holm. He's a witness on that Gabriola Island plane crash. He saw the plane go down uh, last night uh, near his home. Three investigators from the Transportation Safety Board expected to arrive early this afternoon as the investigation begins. So the site, the scene of this plane crash, all we know is multiple fatalities in this crash on Gabriola last night. Let's check in with Global News reporter Brad McLeod now. He's live there covering this story. Hi, Brad. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, the, uh, very shaken up residents here, I can tell you that much. What can you tell me from the scene there, Brad? What's the latest? So they've got it taped off uh, here, uh, as you would imagine, too. So on our ferry ride over this morning, we saw uh, TSB Transportation Safety Board officers. We saw Transport Canada. We saw forensics from RCMP. They're all making their way here in the daylight to investigate this scene. And we just uh, spoke with that same witness, that clip that you uh, just had there. He was first on scene, and he reported seeing last night around 6 p.m., 
a plane spiraling down into the woods just meters from his home. Uh, he knew something was wrong. Uh, immediately he heard sounds that did not sound like the usual plane traffic coming over his house. That, that happens here on Gabriola. So he uh, responded to it and he ran over into the, the woods. All he saw was fire. And immediately he's been telling us that he knew there were no survivors. He didn't really want to go into detail of what he saw, but he did see human remains. So he just oh, knew man. that there were no survivors. He did say that he did try. He was calling out for for anything just in case somebody was around and somebody survived. But uh, there was very little he can do. And, uh, of course, today he's dealing with those images in his head. So are many other people living here on the island. Well, that's horrible. What's the terrain like in that area there where the plane went down? Yeah, so we're on the northwest tip of Gabriola Island, and uh, basically this happened just off the shoreline. It happened in a stand of trees. The neighbors are telling us, you know what, if this was going to happen, it happened in a, a good place, if you can even term it like that, to trees, a uh, treed area between homes. So uh, nobody was hurt. Some people even reporting that maybe this person was trying to pull up or avoid houses. This is not substantiated. But we have heard it, it was a nosedive. Um, so nobody hurt on land, just a bunch of helpless people just not being able to do much in the, in the inferno that ensued. Okay, what do we know about, obviously no fatalities or no survivors, but we've been told multiple fatalities, but we still don't have a firm number. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, BC Corners uh, yesterday saying, you know what, we're dealing with multiple casualties, but the, the number we're still trying to determine that uh, so multiple that can mean anything uh, one of the indicators we have is uh, on those flight tracker apps you're able to um, track the flight activity in the area at the time this is not substantiated but there was a, a certain potentially six-seater plane that did disappear off uh, off this area of gabriola island around six o'clock last night so that leads us to believe that there could have been anywhere from six to maybe eight uh, passengers on board or or significantly less. We don't know. This is stuff that we are going to be processing. We're going to learn more as our CMP and the TSB uh, inform us with uh, hopefully right. some uh, press conferences throughout the day. Right. We don't have any a lot of confirmed details here. There have been some unconfirmed reports that this was a, a, perhaps a six-seater plane. I mean, we do know it was kind of a smaller plane, though, right? Yeah, that's what we're thinking. Uh, so from the uh, the eyewitness details, there wasn't much left of the plane. So yes, they were. It's a it's a smaller plane. Uh, he said maybe a hundred square feet was the wreckage that the crater um, damage site. So which would maybe lead you to believe that it was not a a larger commercial aircraft, uh, a right, little bit of a right. smaller area. And uh, of course, just getting the descriptions today, it's just uh, the smell of fumes and fuel and uh, and fire departments fall into your fire departments having to spray themselves off after investigating the area so just wow. obviously people move to an island like this for the quiet lifestyle uh and this is anything but speaking to brad mcleod global news reporter live on gabriola island right now at the scene of that plane crash yesterday brad is there any indication of what the weather conditions were like at the time there are reports, some people on the island saying, you know what, it was it was okay and clear, but people living close to the area said, you know what, fog can happen in localized areas off the shore. There are yeah. some reports that there was some localized fog off of the shore. We're going to obviously get more details on that, whether, hey, uh, land was approaching this aircraft quickly, uh, whether it pulled up 
installed and that's why the nosedive happened. But this, again, this is all speculation at this point right now. I can tell you it is foggy on the island and, and you can only see uh, a certain amount of meters ahead of you at the moment. So if that's any indication of what the weather was like yesterday, then yes, weather could have been a factor here. What's the kind of the mood of people that you're talking to over there? I mean, obviously it's traumatic. Yeah, I think they have a keen understanding that it's very soon right now. The things they've seen, they're going to be processing over the next few weeks. Um, even uh, there's one post on Facebook of a counselor who lives on uh, Gabriel Island, you know, reaching out. I'm going to be back on Friday. If you're having any issues, please contact me is what she said. Um, and, and I'm sure the island's going to work through all this together. But a lot of people shaken up, very friendly people here, willing to share what happened, but also just overwhelmed by the reality of what happened overnight here. Brad, I'll let you get back to work there. A tough story to cover today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. That's Brad McLeod, Global News reporter. He's live on Gabriel Island right now. Let's pivot here and talk about another story that we're following today, and that is this, this unbelievable, these Grinches who broke in to the Surrey Christmas Bureau and stole gift cards and laptop computers. This is unbelievable. Let's check in now with Lisa Waring. She's the executive director of the Surrey Christmas Bureau. Lisa, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Really appreciate it. Well, I am very sorry that this has happened to you folks because you guys do wonderful work there for uh, needy families at this time of year. T- tell me exactly what happened. Uh, sometime in the early hours of this morning, um, we were broken into. Uh, I received a call from the police at about 7 a.m. So somewhere uh, shortly after 6 o'clock this morning, uh, some Grinches broke into the back of the Christmas Bureau and made off with all of our team gift cards, about $6,000 worth of inventory, which was all of our presents for teens, as well as some computers. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about the work you guys do there. Well, we're the largest Christmas charity in the province. We serve about 2,000 families uh, every year, uh, including over 4,500 children, providing uh, kids with toys and and low-income families with grocery gift cards for their Christmas meals. So we uh, we impact a very large section of of the community um, during the Christmas season, and people really count on us. And right now, it's just been quite a devastating blow. Okay, this is appalling that a charity like yours that does work like this for needy families at this time of year would, would suffer a break-in and a, and a theft like this. I mean, would, the, would, it, would it have been obvious to the people breaking in that they, would they have known that this is a Christmas charity that they're stealing from? I mean, there are signs around. Would it be obvious to them? Yes, it would have been very yeah. obvious to them. Basically, we set up a, a pop-up toy store in donated space every year. Uh, there, there's a lot of signage. Uh, we're well known in the community, and uh, it's it's very obvious what we do here that we're just trying to help folks. Yeah. Okay. Let me go over again what you what was ripped off here. You lost some. You lost a bunch of gift cards, right? That's right. Uh, for for teen, we always struggle with gifts for teens in the first place. So this is doubly devastating for us. Um, you know, many donors come in and they provide us with general mall gift cards or movie passes or gift cards to places like Walmart or Best Buy or, or retailers like that that teens like to shop in. Right. Uh, and those are, are what we, we have for teenage presents. And those were all gone, about $6,000 worth of inventory gone, as well as three laptops that were just donated to us, actually, by the Electronic Recycling Association. 
Oh, were those laptops for your for your guys' use in, in the office there? Yes, they yeah. were. They are, they were computers that our volunteers work on when we're registering families for help. Okay, so what's the total value of what you lost here? Do you figure? Well, oh, over ten thousand dollars. Over ten thousand. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Oh my. That is absolutely terrible, Lisa. So like $6,000 worth of inventory and then like, what, another $4,000 worth of stuff? Or? Oh, those, they were very good computers, yes. They were. Oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, it was, they were very high-end laptops. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're quite shocked. It, it is definitely feeling like the Grinch that stole Christmas around here this morning. Oh, no kidding. What, can you, what are you going to do now? Well, we're hoping, uh, we're very grateful for the press and rallying behind us uh, and getting the word out there. We're hoping by the end of today, it is more like the ending of It's a Wonderful Life than the Grinch that stole (laughs) Christmas, and that we can have an outpouring of support from the community. We need gift cards in here, and we need donations. So folks can uh, can donate to our website, www.christmasbureau.com, or they can pop on down to our toy depot, which is right across the street from the Surrey Central SkyTrain station. Okay, Lisa, CKNW listeners are very generous, as you may know. And, yes, I do. And I, I know there's a lot of people listening to you right now that would want to help. So I just want to re- repeat what you just said. If you want to help out christmasbureau.com, right yes that's correct and you can go to the toy depot across this tell, tell me the location again the address is 10240 city parkway it's the old stardust roller skating center right across the street from surrey central skytrain station okay and i'm encouraging people cknw listeners today to also call the buzz line here if you want to access and help out that way Leave a voicemail there, and we'll make sure that you get connected with the uh, Surrey Christmas Bureau and help them out in this time in need. 604-331-BUZZ is the number if there's anything you can do to help. 604-331-2899. Just call and leave a message there, and we'll make sure you get connected to the right people to help out Lisa and all the, for, and all the great work she's doing. And you know what, Lisa? We're, all, we're already getting calls on this this morning, including... Oh, thank uh, you. Well, have a listen to this. Hi, uh, this is Jan Voss. I'm listening to your show this morning. I own an engineering company in Port Moody called CTS. It's a traffic engineering company. We'd be happy to donate a brand-new computer to the Surrey Christian Bureau up to $1,500 if that helps you out. How does that sound? that's marvelous. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, you bet. That is Jan Voss you heard there. His company is called CTS, engineering company in Port Moody. So he's already contacted us this morning, Lisa, with an offer of a brand new computer for you. So we'll make sure that uh, he gets hooked up with you guys over there to make that happen, all right? Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, and thank you, Mr. Voss. Okay, Lisa, we'll check in again with you later. I hope you're right. I hope it is like the, the A Wonderful Life. That would be awesome. It would be. Thank you very yeah. much. You're welcome. Okay. okay, that is Lisa Waring. Executive Director of the Surrey Christmas Bureau. They are a registered charity, volunteer-run. They distribute toys, gift cards to needy families at Christmas time. As you heard her describe there, broken into this morning. All this stuff stolen. She figures they've lost about $10,000 worth of uh, inventory and gift cards. So, you know what? This is one of those ones where CKNW listeners, they always step up.
and help out. And this is like one where you can help out for sure. I mean, I can't think of a better thing you can do to help out at Christmas time and hit a, a, a great charity like that. 604-331-BUZZ is the number to call. Call and leave a voicemail there if you want to help out. 604-331-2899. Or as you heard Lisa say there, uh, christmasbureau.com is their website. Let's talk about the gremlins hitting the Air Canada reservation system online. This is an absolute mess. Yesterday, Canada's Transportation Minister, Mark Garneau, uh, urged Air Canada to fix the problems. No kidding. Uh, yeah, there's been an outpouring of complaints on social media. I'm just checking that out right now. If you go on Twitter, I just did Air Canada reservation search on Twitter, and you just get swamped with complaints here all coming in in like the last even just few minutes. This one guy's got on, tw- on Twitter, Air Canada, this is ridiculous. I've been waiting online for an hour on your reservation system on hold. Fix this. Another one says, Mark Garneau, Transportation Minister. I haven't been able to get in touch with someone at Air Canada for weeks. This is horrible timing. It's Christmas time. He knows other people who are in the same situation. Another person on Twitter, AT. I don't understand what's happening with my reservation. What is going on? Devin says on Twitter, I've been trying to book a flight with Air Canada for over two weeks. The website give me an error message and they aren't taking calls. Those are all just tweets in the last couple of hours. I mean, this is unreal. Let's check in with our travel expert now, Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel Best Bets. Claire, what is going on here? Oh, geez, Mike. It's nice to talk oh. to you. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a monkey motion. So Air Canada, here's the skinny. Even though, you know, Mark Garneau has chimed in here, yeah. Air Canada knows what they need to do. I mean, they, what's happened is that they've replaced an aging booking system. It needed to be done. It's unfortunate they did it kind of late November going into the holiday season. But okay, I should just, I want to kind of get to the guts of this. First of all, most of the bookings are fine. But what I'm suggesting everyone does is if you know you're flying with Air Canada, go onto their website and look, use your record locator and check your reservation just to make sure everything's okay. You're likely going to have a new locator. The record locator I'm talking about are those six letter or digit um, uh, reservation codes. That's right. your locator number. Right. If you have a situation needing to be resolved, you can call in. Now, the hold times are two to three hours. We've right. had a case in our office where we had a phone that was on hold for three and a half, and that was to the travel agent line. And we're doing you know change multiple changes at a time, so it makes sense for us to have um, that. The customer service line for the public is similar. But if you have a travel agent, they're going to handle all this for you. If you're trying to book something and you're, it's not going anywhere, get a travel agent to do it for you because they can do it. Um, so you can do I it. You can do it online. You mean? Like yeah, quick, we can do quicker? it through our okay. systems. Okay. Yes. Um, online check-in. Make sure you're doing that. Um, put, put, do your seat selection as well. Um, and if you have any other concerns, 
unfortunately, you are going to have to go on hold um, and and hang in there and be patient. Um, it's not that people can't get through. It's just a really, really long hold time. And part of this is compounded by the fact that those 737 max schedule changes have to be made, um, weather-related issues, some of, like, like when Toronto had a, the big snowstorm or some of their flights were going through Washington, D.C., and the airport was shut. So it's a combination of a whole multitude of things but it's no fun for us as consumers, that's for sure. Okay, this is going to be, talk about brutal timing. I mean, this has got to be one of the busiest yeah. travel periods of the year, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. But keep in yeah. mind that the busiest time doesn't start until about the 21st. So the 20th, okay. 21st, which is that Friday and Saturday before Christmas, and then it's going to run right through until the 5th of January. But it's only the 11th, the 11th today, so if you're going over that peak time, look at your reservation now and make any, like double check it and then make the changes if, if you need to make any. So I've traveled twice on Air Canada flights since this implementation took place and neither of my reservations were handled. My husband travels a lot for business. He's been on four Air Canada flights since then and all of them were fine. So the majority are going to be fine, but you do need to double check. Okay, speaking to Claire Newell from Travel Best Bets about the problems with Air Canada reservations. I haven't flown on Air Canada recently, but in my experience, their reservation system, it works pretty good in the past. So, I mean, like, is, is in your experience, does the system they had before, was it okay? It was okay. It was yeah. getting slightly um, archaic compared to some of the other reservation systems that we work with that are out there. So this needed to be done. And I can guarantee you come like five, six months from now, when all of the bugs are out, people are going to be raving about it. It's just, you know, like any system when you when it's changed, if you've worked for a company that's had to upgrade their systems or change their systems, you know what? What happens? First of all, the cost overruns are crazy, but it always takes a little bit of time to get the hiccups out. So unfortunately, there are going to be some, a very small percentage of reservations that are affected, but Air Canada is, is going to take care of them. You just have to potentially hold for a lot longer than you normally would. Okay, so is it just a question of like long wait times, or have you heard anybody, yes. Claire, missing flights or anything like that? Very few. At the very yeah. beginning, there were we heard some glitches of people getting to the airport and then realizing that maybe that they didn't have a flight or they didn't get the seat that they assigned. And that kind of thing has been happening. But part of that is um, the 737 MAX schedule changes, but very, very few. And that was at the very beginning when this, this happened. Um, so, you know, touch wood, it's only going to get better over time. But in the meantime, I still say if you're if you've got a rezo, double check it. And if yeah. you need a new rezo, maybe go to a travel agent that you trust. Okay, you mentioned that Canada's Transportation Minister, Mark Garneau, he kind of weighed into this thing yesterday. But I thought in yeah. kind of very weak fashion. I mean, he just yeah, says, like, we're aware of there's complaints. I hope Air Canada can resolve the problems. Wow, thanks a lot. I mean, but yeah. is there anything more <laughs> you could do? Well, is that, but what, no, what could he do, right? Like Air Canada knows they've got a bit of a, a situation here and every day that it carries on, it's costing them money and, you know, losing customers' faith. So they're going to, they're trying to mitigate this as quickly and efficiently as possible. So they know the pains. Um, they, they're well aware of it, Mike. Okay. Air Canada has put out a statement here saying that the, are, these are temporary issues. Uh, they, Replacing an aging booking system, as you said, Claire, they call it technical yeah. issues, longer wait times, call volumes and hold times are temporarily above normal. We've been working to address this. 
and they have they hope to have it uh, fixed soon. Since November nineteenth, Air Canada says we've covered we've carried approximately two point five million customers. Typical for this time of year. Air Canada says, but man, they're getting walloped on social media. I mean, you just do a search yeah, on this on Twitter. Oh, it's brutal. A, a, a majority that I was reading has a lot to do with the wait times, but I think in this situation, you know, you know, be patient. Yeah, Get okay. Okay, and you can help, right? Like, if people are struggling, can they call you or? Well, what? if they didn't make it, they have to deal with the agent that made the booking. So if they've gone direct, they have to go direct because no agent can get involved in a file. So yeah. it's just one of those things. If you've got a new one, for sure, get an agent for any with any agency that you trust. Go out yeah. there and make get them to do it for you. Um, and certainly don't stay on hold. If you did make a reservation through a travel agent, just call yeah. your travel agent. They'll they'll make all those changes. But if you went direct, you have to deal with it direct. Okay, is this keeping you guys hopping around the office there? No, we're not too bad. It's okay. we. It's been very. I asked the general manager. I mean, how how are they? Are we dealing with a lot of changes or or situations because of this? And she said, no, um, we're not. But getting things changed or see the seats assigned and that type of thing, we can't do it online. Yeah. It is a longer wait time. It kind of it kind of reminds me of that old joke. Remember that old joke about Air Canada and what their motto should be? Have you ever heard that one? No, no, we're, tell we're, me. We're not happy until you're not happy. Oh, I thought that was kind of. Cru- I know it's kind of cruel. It's it's a cruel oh, thing. It's cruel. But. They're doing the. I I really do. And you know, Shauna, who's my GM, and she's been working with me for twenty three years. She said, "I can tell you this though, everyone who comes on the line is absolutely doing their best." So okay. Once you do get through, you probably will have someone who's really apologetic and will get you. You know, fix your problem. Good. Okay, Claire. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Mike. Talk to All you right. soon. You bet. That's Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel Best Bets. Time Magazine today has named their Person of the Year for 2019, and it is Greta Thunberg, the Swedish schoolgirl who has inspired a global movement to fight climate change. She's 16 years old. She uh, recently gave that speech in Vancouver that uh, was attended by thousands of people in downtown Vancouver for that climate strike rally on climate change. 16 years old, she's the youngest person ever chosen by the magazine as its person of the year. That's a tradition that goes back to 1927. Controversial choice in the minds of some. I wonder what they think about that in the Alberta oil patch and the oil sands. Let's check in with Max Fawcett now, former editor of Alberta Oil Magazine. He's a very fine journalist, covers Alberta issues for McLean's Magazine, among others. He happens to be in Vancouver today in the studio. Hi, Max. Mike, how are you? Great. Thanks a lot for coming on. What do you think there's, what are they saying in Alberta today with Greta Thunberg as the uh, person of the year for Time Magazine? Well, I think there's a lot of people who are having a bad day today on social media and, and are <laughs> yeah. probably sharing that with their friends. I mean, I, I think this was the reaction that Time was hoping to provoke, maybe not, yeah. not in Alberta, but, you know, get people to react, get people to share, get them to tweet, do all those things. That's the whole point of, of this exercise for them. And so, you know, on their front, mission accomplished. Right. Um, and for the people who get upset about this, you know, I think they're kind of telling on themselves a little bit when they when they overreact to, you know, a 16-year-old who just wants to make the world a better place and, and maybe live in a world where the environment isn't a complete dumpster fire when she's older. 
Okay, but you're saying that as an oil guy, right? I mean, I, you used to be the editor of uh, Alberta Oil Magazine. I, I am a bit of a heretic in the patch on, on some of these things. I think climate change policy and oil and gas can go together. I think they actually uh, go together quite well. And, and going forward, that's the only way that they're going to go together. So I, I'm not saying they have to listen to everything that Greta is suggesting, because some yeah. of her suggestions are a little bit on the, the radical side. But you certainly can't ignore the the growing movement uh, around climate change and certainly the the amount that young people care about it so uh you know don't get mad maybe maybe listen to her a little bit more okay so you think she's a good choice as person of the year for time magazine because i i was checking out some of the twitter reaction in alberta today and a lot of people are upset about it and think like no way she shouldn't be the person of the year for time magazine but what do you think about the choice I mean, I think people in Alberta are a little biased. Maybe they would have liked Jason Kenney to be the person of the year. I'm not sure. But uh, you can't ignore the the impact that she's had in terms of attracting headlines. You know, uh, people have rallied in support of her wherever she goes. I mean, she is a, a global phenomenon, and, and she's only 16 years old. Yeah. To, you know, to the people who are upset about this, I would say that it may turn out to be a bad choice. Time did... Uh, picked Joseph Stalin twice as their person yeah. of the year, yeah. uh, picked Adolf Hitler once, so uh, and uh, Richard Nixon twice. So, you know, th- these are not always good choices, but the, the, the point <laughs> of the exercise is to, is to stimulate debate and, and to get people talking about Time magazine, and, and that's mission accomplished. Yeah, sure. I mean, they have a history of making some provocative choices, and uh, they've, they've got people talking about it today, so that's probably the, uh, the response they were certainly certainly looking for. You mentioned that um, you've written about, she visited Alberta a short time ago, didn't she? She did. She was yeah. in Alberta, oh boy, it escapes me, but about a month ago, maybe. Right, right, but the same the election. she's in Vancouver, yeah. Yeah. What was, the, what was the reaction when she visited Alberta? It was a it was a live version of, of what people are doing on social media today. You had, you know, people protesting her with, you know, honking horns and, and generally, uh, you know, kind of melting down a little bit about about what she had to say. It wasn't a good look for Alberta. You know, you know, the, the, the eyes of the world are increasingly on the oil and gas industry there. And I think they could have done a better job of, of embracing her, of listening to her. Again, you don't have to do what she says because, you know, like a lot of 16-year-olds, she doesn't have a, a, a great grasp on, on, you know, exactly what, what happens in the real world. But, you know, I think to, to attack her or to criticize her or to say, she, you know, she's foreign funded or she, you know, she's 16, she doesn't get it. Or I've seen some people criticizing her for her mode of transport. Uh, it's, it yeah. misses the point, which is that she has tapped into, I think, a very deep vein of, of fear and concern among people her age about what their future is going to look like. And I think it's incumbent upon adults not to dismiss those concerns, but to address them. Okay, speaking to Max Fawcett, he's the former editor of Alberta Oil Magazine, covers Alberta for McLean's Magazine, among others. Do you think that, I mean, as a guy from Alberta who's written about the oil patch for a lot of years, do you think that, you know, I mean, what's her position on, on Canadian energy production and oil and gas in, in particular? I mean, has she articulated a, a specific position? Does she think Canada should be shutting down the oil sands? What, what has she said about that? Yeah, she has. She's she's. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm in uh, very clear disagreement with her on that front. She's basically yeah. said that you know the industry should shut down. She sent a letter to the prime minister recently saying don't approve any more projects. You know, wrap it up. It's 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 game over for for Canada's oil and gas industry. And I don't think that's true. I think for as long as as oil and gas is consumed in this world, I want as many of those barrels to come from Canada as possible. Um, but. You know, the future is one of demand, you know, maybe, uh, you know, peaking in the near future and, and people looking for cleaner alternatives. And right. in Alberta and in Canada, we can't be blind to that. So 
you know, we should fight for, for the market share that we have and the market share we want. And no, Greta, we shouldn't be just stopping things tomorrow. But you can't ignore concerns like hers because I think they're only going to get more vocal, more urgent, and more politically relevant uh, in the years to come. And industry has to have a better answer for them than, um, you know, be quiet or we don't want to listen to you. Right. I mean, you can't deny the impact that she's had and, and the number of people who turn out. I mean, look at the look at the numbers of people who come out to see her. I mean, downtown Vancouver was an, a, a human traffic jam. When she was here, I mean, she's in, she's inspires a lot of people, especially young people who connect with her. So I think at her at our peril, you kind of ignore that. At the same time, like you said, Max, you don't agree with everything that she said. You think some of the stuff? Do you think some of the stuff she said is what radical or unrealistic? How would you describe it? Yeah, I think it's both of those. I mean, you know, when you're 16 years old, you you don't really have a job. You don't have a mortgage to pay. You don't you don't think about the sort of bigger picture of things she she is very clear that she you know her role is to raise the alarm to to attract attention to get people to to feel the urgency that she feels and i think that's good the question is what do we do with that urgency what right, what does right. that lead to and i don't think shutting down canadian oil and gas is the answer because as i think a lot of people listening know we shut our oil and gas down those barrels just get produced by texas or russia or norway or any other part of the world that that will continue pumping so what we need to do is support carbon pricing, reduce our emissions through global agreements, and work together towards these sorts of things. And I, and I think she would agree with that uh, if you pressed her. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because you're not going to be able to transition off of fossil fuels overnight. I mean, there has to be a transition period where you, you go to renewables or cleaner energy sources, but you're not, I mean, it's just a simple fact, isn't it? You're not, it's impossible to turn it off the, turn off oil and gas in, in the, in a very short order. Well, we could do it, but we would all be poorer for it. We wouldn't be able to, to fund the sorts of social programs that we enjoy today. And it wouldn't do anything for global emissions because, as I said, that, that, that demand would just be met by another source. Right. So, you know, we have to think, I think, a little more creatively and comprehensively about this. There's a middle ground where, you know, we don't have to pretend that it's, 20 years ago and climate change isn't important because it's super important. But that doesn't mean that we shut everything down tomorrow. There's a, there's right. a middle ground and, you know, 16-year-olds are not great at middle grounds and, and Greta probably isn't either, but uh, that's where we should be meeting her, not, you know, dismissing her, not saying so, that her concerns aren't relevant. So what should be the answer then from Canada or specifically Alberta and the US? And we've got an oil and gas sector here in British Columbia as well. And short of people saying, well, just shut everything down, what kind of rational response should we have as a country to say, like, no, we're not going to shut everything down, but we think we can improve things, we can contribute to an answer or a solution? Yeah, I think we have a, a better story to tell than some people understand. Um, you know, we we have carbon pricing at the federal level, and, you know, certainly there are very few countries in the world that can say that. We have carbon pricing in Alberta on the oil and gas industry, and actually, almost nobody knows this, but they've had that for over a decade. Um, so can... Can they reduce their emissions more? They absolutely can. Should we support them? We absolutely should. But, you know, Alberta is one of the only oil producing regions in the world right now that's working hard, maybe not hard enough, but it is working hard to reduce the emissions associated with its oil. So to tell them to shut down and to say to people in Texas, go ahead, keep doing what you're doing, that doesn't make much sense to me. You know, I think we have a good option to offer the world, this sort of Canadian awkward consensus position that, you know, is kind of one of the things that we're very good at in this country is is policy that makes nobody yeah. happy, but actually mm -hmm. moves things forward. Okay, I'm talking to Max Fawcett. He's the former editor of Alberta Oil Magazine, talking about Greta Thunberg, 
uh, named today as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Of course, the 16-year-old climate change activist. Uh, Time Magazine said today Thunberg won the award for sounding the alarm about humanity's predatory relationship with the only home we have, unquote. She is in Madrid, Spain today. She's addressing uh, UN climate talks there. Do you think that you mentioned that if we did what Greta Thunberg said and just kept all the oil and gas in the ground in Canada, that the demand would just be met elsewhere, whether it's the United States or, or somewhere else? What about that ethical oil argument that we often hear in Alberta that's saying, like, look, we are a country that has respects human rights. We've got ethical laws. We've got strong environmental laws around the extraction of these products. And if you don't buy our oil and gas, people will buy it from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or some other terrible country. Do you think that's a legit answer to her? So I'm I'm on the record as saying that I'm I am not a fan of the ethical oil argument. It was it was created by Ezra Levant, who has uh, all sorts of baggage that I, I don't think is particularly great. Well, yeah, but doesn't he have a fairly a fairly compelling argument to make on it? So it, you know, I definitely think that there is merit in the idea that we have better you know ethical labor laws uh, you know, standards than a place like Saudi Arabia. I think that's obvious. That's not convincing for a lot of people in Canada. It's not going to get people to support pipelines in Burnaby. It's not going to get people to support pipelines in Montreal because they expect better of us. We're Canadians. We're supposed to be the best in the world. We're not supposed to be the worst in the world. So I think it is a technically correct argument. I think it's very ineffective as a persuasive argument. And I think the proof is in the pudding there because it hasn't worked. It, it makes people yeah. in Alberta and Saskatchewan feel good, but it's not really getting the job done anywhere else. And you know, the thing that matters most right now is is the environmental side. You know, the, the labor laws are important. The way we treat minorities and women in Canada is very important. And it has, by the way, nothing to do with the oil and gas industry. That's a function of broader society. But, you know, the, what matters per, to people like Greta are the emissions. And we still have work yeah, to do yeah. there. We've done work. It's getting better. It still can get so much better than it is today. And that's what's going to get people to buy in is meaningful material and ongoing improvements in our environmental performance. What, what do you think, the just last question for you, Max, what do you think will be the impact of Greta Thunberg appearing today on the cover of Time Magazine, Person of the Year? Because like you mentioned, the climate change uh, movement, especially among young people, we've seen it grow this year amazingly, but emissions keep going up too. So, I mean, does it make any difference if Time Magazine puts her on the cover? I think it makes a difference for Time Magazine's bottom line. I think they, they will do quite well from it. But, you know, will it move the needle in terms of who we vote for and the policies they bring in? I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to be looking to the American election next year to see if, if maybe that moves the needle. You know, it didn't really seem to move the needle a whole lot in our federal election. The Green Party ended up with the same number of seats they always do. So I do think momentum's building. I do think there's sort of pressure under the ground that's sort of bubbling up, but we haven't really seen it explode yet. And, and maybe that's this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. That's coming in the near future. Okay. Thanks for stopping in. Anytime, Mike. I appreciate it. Max Fawcett, former editor, Alberta Oil Magazine. 
You can read his stuff in McLean's and elsewhere. Let's talk about the historic flight yesterday of the electric seaplane run by Harbor Air. And this is a, a really wonderful BC company, and they made history yesterday with that first flight of a, retrofi- a retrofitted de Havilland Beaver aircraft with an electric engine. Let's check in now with Harbor Air CEO Greg McDougall. He was the man piloting that plane in that historic flight yesterday. Hey, Greg. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Hey, congratulations. Thank you. This is really awesome what you guys have pulled off here. You guys announced last March that you wanted to become a an all-electric uh, airline, right? Now, how did you pull this off? How did you uh, retrofit this de Havilland aircraft here with an electric engine? Well, it was really a matter of finding the uh, perfect partner, uh, Magniex is uh, a propulsion company uh, or an aviation propulsion, electric aviation propulsion company um, that that's their only reason for existence is to electrify aviation. Um, they, they basically found us, uh, I guess I'd talked to enough people about this idea and um, uh, they got together with us last February and in 15 minutes we figured out that we had totally common goals in terms of getting a commercial aircraft in the air before the end of the year. Uh, so our teams got together and um, and you know set about um, retrofitting this Beaver, uh, and in 11 months we got it done. And uh, it was just amazing to watch these two teams uh, get together. You know we had the laptop set from Magniex and the wrench twisters from from our um, uh, sort of you know uh, legacy uh, aircraft fleet and. Um, and those two uh, teams got together and and absolutely created a very high tech uh, piece of equipment that um, uh, flies unbelievably well and is a perfect test bed uh, to prove the technology of, for electric flight. Well, I got to tell you, it was amazing to watch you lift off the water yesterday uh, behind the controls of that electric uh, float plane, the first time in history. W- were you nervous at all, Greg, on, on board there? Um, you know, I wasn't nervous at all. I, I've, uh, you know, flew as a as a as a uh, commercial pilot every day for you know many many years. I did a lot of things that um, you know uh, would have been considered sort of high risk in in terms of uh, flying stunts for movies and doing all kinds of things that uh, for movies and TV shows. Um, so I'm pretty used to. Uh, just focusing behind the controls and getting getting uh, the job done. I think what was uh, pretty impactful, though, was when I uh, got back to the dock and I realized uh, just how many people there were that um, that were excited by this, uh, had come out to see it, um, how much you know um, attention it was getting, and it was really a validation of our vision in terms of 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 what this means and uh, that people kind of they get it, you know, they, they, it, it, it is really something they understand. And, um, uh, that, that, that was just hugely impactful. That's awesome. Now, were you the only guy on the plane? Was it just you on there? Yes. Our, our permit only, and, um, only allows for, um, for the test pilot to be on board. Um, we've been working really closely with transport Canada for all of this. And, uh, the, the test program is, you know, very, very closely monitored, by them, we have restrictions in terms of the weather we can fly in, and and actually it was scheduled for today originally, and wow. we had to reschedule it because uh, today's not a good day. So yesterday was the window we had to, you know, on a moment's notice, uh, move it up a day, 
Um, we were only allowed a certain amount of wind and no, no precipitation. And, you know, it's being quite uh, closely monitored, um, which, you know, is, 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 is understandable considering this technology is totally new right. to aviation. What was it like flying that electric plane? I mean, you're an experienced pilot. You've, you've flown these, uh, this plane before. This is a classic de Havilland Beaver aircraft. Did it feel different with a, an electric motor? Yes, very different. Um, I've got about 8,000 hours in this particular uh, aircraft. Um, with the standard piston engine and then and then with the retrofitted um, Pratt and Whitney uh, PT6 turbine, and I would say it was closer to the uh, to the retrofitted turbine. But um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, electric power is uh, instantaneous almost in its torque, so uh, the performance is greatly enhanced. Um, in fact, you know, beyond our expectations, I really had to hold the aircraft on the water to, to lengthen the takeoff run to get it to where uh, people wanted me to be for the liftoff so that you oh. know, it would be in full view of everybody. <laughs> um, so I actually had to, throw, I had to throttle it back because oh. uh, it really surprised me how uh, quickly it wanted, to, it wanted to get in the air. Oh. Um, once in the air, it accelerated uh, uh, really quickly, and, and compared to the, you know, the piston engine that I'm used to, it was, uh, it was really quite amazing. Yeah, well, you don't want to spoil the photo op, right? No, no. <laughs> oh, a lot of people had turned up to see it. So yeah. if, I had, uh, if I had gone and disappeared uh, uh, somewhere and, and taken off, the people would have been pretty disappointed. So oh, we did have a bit of an entertainment value to the whole thing. Oh, good for you. Well done. Speaking to Greg McDougall, he is the CEO of Harbor Air. He was the pilot on that test flight yesterday of the first electronic seaplane in the, in the company's, company's fleet. Uh, how long does it take to charge the batteries on that baby? Uh, so right now we're we're charging it with a pretty with a um, a, a fairly low power charger. But if you kind of compare, um, if you get to sort of like the supercharger um, uh, that Tesla has, uh, and and it it looks like it's going to be about minute for minute. So if we have a thirty minute flight, we're looking at a thirty minute charge. Okay, what's next? Do you want to transform Harbor Air into a completely electronic fleet of planes? Yes, eventually. Um, wow. What we're going to do is we're going to evolve with the, with the battery technology. Uh, there are routes that we can fly um, pretty much uh, immediately on certification. We're looking at, we're looking at uh, pretty much a, a two-year process. It's called a standard type certificate process. And, um, and this process is going to be at least two years. Uh, we, we, we hope it won't be much more than that, but we can't control it completely. And it is new technology. So, um, you know, so the regulators are, are, um, are sort of in charge of, 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 of that program, uh, in terms of the timing. But, um, but we're hoping to, uh, get that done in a couple of years. And then, uh, we'd be able to launch our first passenger flights. Uh, to Victoria and Nanaimo, which are you know half an hour or less kind of thing, it's the whole um, the whole reason we're able to take advantage of this technology is the fact that we're very unique um, with our short stage lengths and then uh, single engine aircraft that are you know low energy consumers. So um, so we're quite unique in in that regard um, as a regional airline that can that can be able to utilize this technology quickly. Great, congratulations to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Good talking to you. You bet. Thanks a lot. Greg McDougall, CEO of Harbor Air Pilot. This guy's a hands-on CEO for sure. He flew that plane yesterday. We've been telling you all day about these Grinches who kicked the door down this morning of the Surrey Christmas Bureau. 
broke in there and like a bunch of Grinches taken away all the little houses and decorations down in Whoville. They just stripped the place. Let's check in again with Lisa Waring. She's the executive director of the Surrey Christmas Bureau. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing great. Is there any updates? Have you talked to the police at all? Uh, Yes, the police have been absolutely fabulous. The RCMP have been down here most of the morning, um, fingerprinting and and, uh, taking statements, so I'm conducting their investigation, so we're very grateful for their support. Okay, is there any clues down there? Do they got any leads, do you know? I have no idea. I think it's a little too early to tell so far. Yeah, how about, you guys got any security cameras down there or anything? We don't. We actually rely on donated space for our toy depot. So we're in a different location usually yeah. every year uh, where we build our, our, our toy store. Um, oh. But the landlord has very graciously come down as well today to uh, repair the door, and he will be installing some cameras for us today. Okay, that's good. Remind us again what was taken there. Well, we had uh, three laptops taken. Uh, they were very recently donated to us. Uh, we use them to register the families that come to us for help every year. So those were taken as well as about $6,000 worth of uh, gift cards that were intended as gifts for teenagers. Those would be gift cards to places like Guilford Town Center or Central City Mall or various retailers like Walmart or movie passes, that sort of thing. Okay, I just find it extraordinary that someone would have a Grinch-like heart that would do something like that to a charity for, for needy families. It's, uh, you guys do wonderful work there. So do you figure it's all worth, when we talked earlier, you figure it's probably about $10,000 total damage, right? Probably, yes. And we've actually just discovered, uh, uh, one of our volunteers just discovered that uh, some drones were also taken that were, oh. again, also teenage gifts. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's... It's an ongoing uh, investigation so far, but um, we're very grateful. We're, we're seeing a lot of support coming in from the community, and I'm, um, I'm very hopeful that we'll you know, be able to replace all the gift cards that were taken and, and continue to make Christmas dreams come true for families in Surrey. Okay, well, that's great. Because I know we've been getting a, a lot of response today from people, Lisa, who want to help you out. They've been touched by this story. A lot of people have been phoning our buzz line here and leaving messages of support and offers of help for you. So we're trying to do our best to help you out. In fact, um, I got someone on the line here that uh, is uh, someone who wants to help. He's got something to say to you here. Hello, Mr. Mr. Blake? Yes, hi, Mike. Hi, Mr. Blake. And Mr. Blake, you are a singer-songwriter. Right, and I know that you've uh, helped out the CKNW Kids Fund in the past, and you've been very gen- one of our most generous listeners. So I know you got something to say to Lisa, right? Yes, I was very touched by what I heard this morning. I thought it was terrible, but then <laughs> they st- they stole my blue bag this morning <laughs> for with my um, garbage. So if they steal the blue bag, I guess things are pretty desperate for some people oh, out there. Oh dear! Oh, oh that's man. terrible. I'm sorry to hear that, Mister Blake. Well, that's a trivial little thing. Um, what was your name again? Sorry. My name is Lisa Waring. Lisa, how would you like uh, a check for $10,000 from my music and Mr. Blake Foundation here to replace um, the gift cards, etc.? Oh, my goodness. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. Well, I'm happy to donate it. And I brought the... 
the billboard check and the real check along with me this morning, or I guess this afternoon, while I'm sitting in this fabulous studio here at CKNW. Oh, thank you so much. I just can't get over your generosity. That's amazing. I know what it's been like to be down and out myself in in younger years and going without. So I have a bit of an idea. Also working for the Ministry of Children and Family Services for 20 years, I met many situations that there was a great need out there every year and I guess every day. So I usually help and continue to help um, charities that I believe are real charities locally and globally. Oh, that's so kind of you. You are just a, an angel walking amongst us, Mr. Blake. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Mr. Blake, that is awesome. $10,000. Lisa, that'll help out a bit, huh? Uh, that will help out a lot. I'm actually <laughs> tearing up right now, I have to tell you. It's a good job I'm not on camera right now. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. And I got a feeling that by the end of the day, like kind of like you predicted earlier today, Lisa, this is going to turn from the Grinch who stole Christmas into It's a Wonderful Life because you got Mr. Blake's 10000 and I think there are probably more offers of help coming in, too. So. Yeah, yes, I think so. I think I hear bells ringing all over uh, the lower <laughs> mainland right now. <laughs> Mr. Blake, that's awesome of you to do that. You're one of our most generous uh, supporters here at CKNW. I know you've given a lot of money to the CKNW Kids Fund. Uh, over the years, and I know people might remember the Fuel It Forward uh, campaign that we had a little while ago, and you kicked in some cash for that, too, so you are a wonderful man. Thank you. I'd just like to say, I have 30 songs being played around the world uh, right now, and um, all the royalties um, and monies have always went to charities since uh, I was 14, and uh, the old hit is on there, I Only Want to Be With You, and I suggest people play it and and keep the money coming in. Although so much of it is downloaded these days, the royalties don't come in um, on pickup trucks anymore like they used to. All right. Well, Mr. Blake, thanks a lot. Okay. Merry Thank Christmas you so to much. Both. Merry Christmas to you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Blake, and Merry Christmas to you, Lisa. Thanks a lot. I'm glad we were able to help you out. Lisa Waring, Executive Director of the Surrey Christmas Bureau, and this just shows you the generosity of people, especially CKNW listeners. When something like this happens, the listeners step up, and certainly Mr. Blake did the big way. 10000 bucks. that's pretty great. That covers their losses. I think, you're gonna, I think the uh, Surrey Christmas Bureau will end up ahead of the game before the day's <laughs> over today. Well, that would be great because the need is great. We're, seeing, yeah. uh, we're still having families come in and, and register for help as we speak. So I'm just so grateful to, to CKNW and everybody in the media uh, for their support and generous okay. folks like Mr. Blake. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. All right, that's Lisa Waring, Executive Director of the Surrey Christmas Bureau. These two flimsy, pathetic, ridiculous articles of impeachment. It's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Mike Smith in for semi-Sarah today. All right, let's talk about the drama south of the border now, the impeachment proceedings against U.S. President Donald Trump. Yesterday, House Democrats unveiled two articles of impeachment against the president, charging him with abuse of power 
and obstruction of Congress. It sets in motion impeachment proceedings against the U.S. president. There will be impeachment proceedings in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee today. That will pave the way for a impeachment trial in the Senate. Let's talk about this now with our panel. Karen Cataline, she's the host of the Spouting Off talk show in Colorado. She's a supporter of the president. I'm very pleased to welcome her back. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. Good to be with you. Thank you, Karen. Also on the line, Brian Kennedy. He's the president of the Can-Am Consulting Company in San Diego, California. He is a critic of the president. Brian, welcome back. Hey, it's nice to be back, Mike. Okay, it's, it's nice to have both of you back on the air. Brian, let me go to you first with these articles of impeachment against the president. Not a surprise this is coming. The, the Democrats clearly going in this direction. Your thoughts on an historic day yesterday with these two articles of impeachment against the president? Well, I think there's only been four presidents in history that have faced an impeachment inquiry. And, I, yeah, four. And I think Donald Trump, uh, probably next week, is going to be the third uh, president in U.S. history. Andrew Johnson, which was Lincoln's vice president, was the first. Bill Clinton uh, was the second. And Donald Trump is going to be the third. So it's going to be interesting, but um, likely the House will vote to impeach him next week. And then it will go to the Senate uh, sometime mid-January, I assume. And they will likely not kick him out of office. So that's where we're at. But Donald Trump will be impeached. He will go down as the third president in history as being impeached. Okay, when you say the Senate will not kick him out, that's because you need a two-thirds vote in the Senate to confirm the impeachment and remove him from office, right? Right, yeah, you need 67 votes. I think what the Democrats would hope for, that maybe a few Republicans might vote with them uh, in the Senate, so it would be a majority of the Senate, but that's the best they can hope for. Uh, We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. You never know what happens. You know, when you get a trial in the Senate, you know, you get a lot of grandstanding, but uh, one has to remember that Chief Justice John Roberts oversees uh, that trial in the Senate. So okay. I'm sure he's not going to put up with a lot of nonsense. Let's go to Karen Cattling. Karen, you heard the president off the bat there calling these flimsy articles of impeachment. He, he's not worried about it. Your thoughts on this? Well, it's a sham. It's an entirely a sham. If you want to keep doing the political theater and saying impeach, impeach, impeach. You know what? They've been saying impeachment since before he ever served a day in office. I could point to many, many Democrats who were intending to impeach him even before he was inaugurated. Um, and the the confirmation bias of the left that is that is dying to impeach him is so incredibly obvious. I wrote a piece called Five Kissably Simple Reasons Why Impeachment is Just Another Hoax. And it really is, and I won't go through it. People can read it at my website. I would ask uh, Brian, what's the crime again? What's he getting impeached again for? Can you actually explain it to anybody, and is it a crime? Sure. Okay, let's go to Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Yep, I'll explain it to you. Sure. He tried to extort yeah, a favor do. from the from Ukraine. Okay, first of all, bribery <laughs> and extortion. Because what he did was, he told wait a minute, Ukraine's president. That's not in the article well, of impeachment Karen, bribery. Karen. It doesn't say bribery. Hang on, Karen. Let him okay, let well, him answer the question. Go yeah. ahead. Right. Well, but it's Start, wrong. So okay. Well, wait a minute. Start reading the report, and you'll find out that that's what's going to come out. It's going to be abuse of power, and it's going to say bribery and possibly or extortion. And what happened here was. 
The president withheld nearly $400 million of Congress-generated money, approved money, to go to Ukraine. But he told the president of Ukraine that, guess what? You're not getting that money unless you open up an investigation into Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. But that's not that's what that, was and, ever said. Wait a minute. And, and you're, wait a minute. you're dramatizing it in a this way is, that fits finish, your narrative. Hang on. Karen, I'm going ins- to insist that I'm going to insist that you don't talk over each other. Karen, you make your point. Go ahead. Well, you know, here's the thing. The, the charges have changed and changed and changed. They tried to get them on, on, uh, in the Mueller report for three years. They couldn't do it. So all of a sudden now it's Ukraine. First it's bribery, then it's obstruction. Then they even poll tested the charges to see what might work. They have been, and I say this advisedly, trumping up hatred for a president who stands to, to expose them for all the crimes they are accusing Trump of. They don't want to talk about Biden. They don't want to talk about phony FISA warrants, which are going on. Right now in the Senate, the left wants to ignore every one of their crimes and corruption. Biden admitted that he that that it was a quid pro quo. And yet they're trying to read that crime into uh, eight lines in a Trump. uh, uh, And we can read the transcript for ourselves. And yet they keep mischaracterizing it because they okay. have been dying to impeach him from the beginning. Okay, he let me, represents a threat. Let me to jump. Them. Let me jump in there, Karen. Before we start talking about Joe Biden and these other things, let me bring it back and the focus on the president and the impeachment proceedings against the president. Brian, you were talking about the obstruction of or the abuse of power accusation and the article of impeachment against the president there with the relations with Ukraine. What about the obstruction of Congress? article of impeachment here i almost think that reading these articles of impeachment yesterday the obstruction of congress article against trump seems to me to be perhaps a more serious one and the and the one that could be a little bit more clearly explained uh, to the public but go ahead and tell me about talk to me about that article okay the obstruction of congress is they subpoenaed the white house for witnesses documents the justice department for witnesses documents and a whole lot of other areas from the government, right. the witnesses and documents. And what happened was the president said there's not going to be any witnesses testifying at all, and there's not going to be any documents handed over to Congress. So what that means is, and what Congress is concerned about is, is that they have oversight. And if this president just rides roughshod over that oversight and gets away with it, all the future presidents are going to say, I don't have to deal with Congress. I'm going to follow the example of Trump. I am just going to stonewall, stonewall, stonewall until it goes away. And that's not what Congress is there for. Let me get Karen's take on that. Karen, how is that not obstruction of Congress? Um, You know, because the time is so short, it gets so frustrating to have to defend phony charges and and misstated facts. They they are not facts. Um, You don't... How do you get bribery from a the the uh, focus of the bribed who doesn't know he was bribed, who didn't say he was bribed, and in fact never came forth with any of the investigation on which he was supposed yeah, to have been but, bribed? Yeah, but, but I'm talking they about are phony. This is the 
phoniest bunch of nonsense I've ever seen, and only people who are true junkies see how ridiculous this is. You've got some of the biggest liars who've been lying and caught in lies, and instead, but Car- but Karen, saying, you know what, we were wrong dragging Karen, the country through this. But they Car- just keep going and doubling down. But Karen, I was asking you about the obstruction of Congress article of impeachment against, against the president. I'm, I'm just asking you, how is it not obstruction of Congress if the president in the White House just flat out says, we're not going to cooperate. No documents, no witnesses. We're not going to cooperate with Congress. How is that not obstructing the work of Congress? Look, I'm not an attorney, but what I have heard <laughs> is that the Democrats have gone around their own policies to set up hearings in basement rooms claiming that they were official. Uh, and there, And the president did not, I mean it, did not have an obligation to uh, come forth with those documents. You can't, I mean, you need an attorney to explain this. But what I can tell you is that (laughs) they tried to, to phony up a narrative. And then what did Trump do? He released the call, but they ignored the facts on the, on the call. Okay. Again and again and again, Trump has bested them at their own game. They ignore the facts in the case. They will not allow facts okay. to come out that don't fit the narrative. It keeps going that way. Brian, let me go to you first. And when you, you mentioned earlier that maybe the, I guess the likely outcome of this is Trump will be impeached by the House. Certainly the Democrats have got the numbers to do that. They'll come up short in the Senate. So what's the point of all this? I mean, at the end of the day, they're not going to—they're just not going to get him, right? He's going to still run for re-election. So what's the point? Well, well, the point is, Mike, you just can't have a president, you know, running around doing what he's doing. I mean, let's be clear: this guy tried to extort a favor from Ukraine. He wanted interference. He wanted Ukraine's president to basically interfere with the 2020 election. And did, and if he did, if he went along with a press conference opening up an investigation into the Bidens. He was going to get the $400 million in military aid that was approved by Congress. That's when he was going to get it. Yeah. Then when this whole thing got, became public, all of a sudden the money was given to Ukraine uh, because it became public. 